Before we get into it, um, I'd like to read a psalm to you guys, kind of to center our attention and focus back uh, to God's Word. Um, So if you would, would you just listen and take it in, and we'll treat it as a prayer. But Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them, and in keeping them there is great reward. So let's pray. God, as we open your word, we acknowledge it to be true. We acknowledge it that it is uh, relevant and that it speaks to our lives. Lord, that it is perfect and It gives us wisdom, and your wisdom is so beyond us that it even makes the wisest of us seem simple. God, help us to have a reverence for this time and to hear clearly your voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, today, kind of to back up and review where we've been, last week, Chris talked to us about the purpose of the church. When we gather, what is the purpose? Why, Why do we worship? What do we do? What is the functionality of the the church? So I want to kind of stay within those bounds and and kind of take a spin off of that and recognizing when we gather as a church, we spend a great deal of time in this book. Why is that? Why, Why every week when we gather on Sunday do we open this book and somebody sits there and talks to you for 45 minutes or more, maybe more, maybe less, depending on who's teaching, why do we take so much time to open this? Is it important? If so, why? Let's let's ask some good questions. What is the purpose of this book? So this book is comprised of 66 different books. It's written by 40 different authors. It was originally written in three different languages, spanning across three different continents. It took over 1,500 years to write this book, what we have in its totalitary, in its total, And we've had this in its canonization or in its complete list for over 2,000 years. So we we kind of have to say that this book has some stain power. The Bible has some stain power. But the question is, is this ancient book still relevant for today? With our modern sensibilities, how, how much weight and credence do we actually give this? But, but to kind of get at that question, I think we need to back up and ask a different question to start with. Instead of starting with the Bible or God's word and how it relates to man, maybe we should ask the bigger question of man. What's man's purpose? Before we ask what God's purpose is. Um, and, and to do this, I'd like to use a helpful tool. This comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism that was written around 1646. And this was written as kind of a framework Uh, to help in understanding, to teach beliefs and doctrines. It's our our understanding uh, framework, short little synapses for the teaching to teach to people who are either illiterate or young children 
so we have a framework how to approach God. Because if we admit, with all these people in this room, many of us are all across the board and where we are and why we approach God. Some of us are brand new Christians who really don't know what to think of God. Some of us have had a long-standing relationship, and we are well-versed in this, and we know lots about God. And some of us have approached God completely with a worldview, where we were once taught something totally different. And so these little questions help us understand, will give us a framework for what we want to do here. So the first question is this, what is man's primary purpose? Starts right at the whole thing. What is the purpose and function of man? And the answer is this. Man's primary purpose is to glorify and enjoy God forever. Let me say that again. Man's primary purpose is to glorify and enjoy him forever. Kind of with this idea that things that thrive, things thrive best when they function for their intended purpose. What were you created for? Kind of a silly example would be when things function outside of their purpose. Um, how many of you have been spammed either by the news or email about the new iPhone 11? Okay, so what if I went out and I purchased this thing, spend $1,000 or whatever it costs, and I come and set it down on my desk to be a nice paperweight? Does it function as it? It's beautiful. It's perfectly sized and shaped to hold down my stack of papers. It even tells me the time. Is that the total intended function of this? No, it's far short. And, and that's kind of a silly story to be like, hey, we took something that was used for so much more and capable of so much more, and we've reduced it to something very simple. So things thrive best when they're used for their intended function. What were we created for? God's Word tells us this, that we were made in the image of God. We're image bearers, imago di, where before sin entered the world, we rightly reflected God in all that we did, all of life, from work to speaking to worship to relationship, we rightly reflected truth about God. So if we're created to bring him glory and to enjoy him, that word enjoy kind of indicates some form of relationship. Not not that we're worshiping some kind of deistic view of a God who's a tyrannical ruler, but that we can actually enjoy God, it would be a good idea to know how to do that. Which leads to the next question is this. What authority from God directs us on how to glorify and enjoy him? The answer is this. The only authority for glorifying and enjoying him is, in, is the Bible which is the word of God and is made up of the Old and New Testaments. Let me repeat that again to let it sink in. The only authority for glorifying and enjoying him is the Bible, which is the word of God and is made up of the Old and New Testaments. It's a well-crafted sentence only because it limits it. It, is ex it excludes other religious writings, correct? What about the Book of Mormon? Other religious texts. What about books about the Bible? Even the most eloquent speech from the wisest person does not contain that authority. 
even governments. They cannot speak to that authority, but it sets up that what we have here, Old and New Testaments, is that authority, which leads to the next question, which is this. What does the Bible, what does the Bible primarily teach? And it's, the answer is this. The Bible primarily teaches what man must believe about God and what God requires of man. What we must believe about God and what God requires of us. If there's a God, what is he like? How does he choose to reveal himself? It's not what we want him to be like or what we say he is or what we choose, but it's actually what he has revealed himself to be and what he requires of man. In, in that if there is a God, he may require something of us. He may be concerned how we think of him, how we act, how we teach, what we believe. So this idea of authority, that God's word contains this authority. Now, the word authority, the definition at the base level would be to what extent and power something has control in a specific sphere. So it says, it's, it's basically saying that this has the final say on what we must believe and how we follow God. What we must believe about God and what God views about our practice, our conduct. So what authority does this book possess? To what extent does that go? Now, recognizing the word authority in our culture can be a real challenging word. We don't like that. See, authority implies that it has the final say on something. It also implies truth. When you are authority in something, it implies truth. Not just truth, but absolute truth. But in our culture and the pervading mindset is this. Self has become the ultimate authority. We are our own authority. I am my own master. I control and choose what is right and wrong. Have we heard this before? What's true for you is not true for me. It's a relative approach to what truth is and what authority is. Saying that what I think, what I feel, trumps all. What I want to do with my body, what I choose, the way I choose to act, is my own truth. But that very statement is kind of self-defeating. We could never arrive at truth. What's true for me is not true for you. Why? Is that absolutely a true statement? The very statement saying that what's true for you is not true for me defeats its purpose and intent. We can never arrive at true. Well, how do you know that? That statement isn't true, is it? Otherwise, how would you arrive at that? And so it's also come to have kind of a dualistic approach to society where we say, hey, okay, we see authority. One plus one is two. We can't say that that's if that's one plus one is just my truth. That doesn't function. So the other approach is to kind of divide those things up to where we have all of life and things as far as governing laws and, and realities that they, yes, they have truth. But in matters of spirituality, matters of religion, matters of morality, well, those things are relative. But the same holds true. There has to be absolute truth. Otherwise, what anybody says carries absolutely no weight. And the truth is, we all appeal to some authority in our lives, whether we admit to it or not. 
And our, the authority challenges our claim of having control. Mankind wants to control. That is our tendency. That is our proclivities to want to control situations for whatever purpose and whatever bent we have. So this book saying it has authority, it's not like saying this is a magic book that just contains authority in and of itself because it's, it's written and God says so. But actually, the authority exists from God himself. in who he is, because with him exists all authority. God's word tells us that God is the head of all authority. So the logical question would be, okay, authority exists with God, but this book was written by men. You said it was written by 40 different men. And so that gets us to the point of how does that have God's authority, but can it be written by men? If you would, open your Bibles. We're going to be camping out of our source text in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be hanging out in verses 14 through 17. All right, 2 Timothy 3. Starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So it says this, continue in what you firmly believed. Continue on, press into it, from what you firmly believed, knowing that whom you learned it from, and from your childhood, you have been acquainted with these ancient writings, speaking of Scripture. And it says that it is able to make us wise to salvation, that simply in reading this, it gives us wisdom and informs us on the way to salvation. And to the main point, verse 16, it says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. So meaning this, some, your, some translations may say this, it is inspired by God. But the idea is this, it is literally spoken by God. Not inspired in the sense of, oh, I was thinking about God and I just felt like writing this song and this kind of expresses my view of him. Not talking about that kind of inspired, but literally as if God himself was speaking. God's voice, the word of God, is actually speaking through this, through the writing of men. We finish 2 Peter, and Peter lays the same premise down. It says this in 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yes, men wrote this, but it isn't, they did not write this under their own will, but literally it is God breathing and putting in the words to write through these men. 
See, see, God is a king. We view him and he relates to us as a king, and a king rules through his word. Just as a king would write decrees and hand them to men to go carry out these commandments, it's a similar idea. God has spoken, and that is the authority, and he's given it to men to write down, to keep, to hold, to pass on. In the beginning, it says God even spoke what we see now into existence. He spoke and it was. There's authority that comes from who God is in his ability to speak things. There is power in his voice when he says something. Psalm 31.1 says this, For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Again, authority in God in his speaking. Isaiah 55.11 says this, Words that come from my mouth do not return empty, but they accomplish what I intended them to do. We might note as God's word does not return void. Usually used as a cheap way of saying, well, I didn't do a very good good job at explaining scripture. Well, God's word just won't return void. But it's truly what he's saying is when God speaks something, it it carries such authority that it will accomplish what he set it out. He is sovereign. The way a king reigns. God reigns through his word, and he reigns, and he has authority in all we believe, all we do. He has authority in our doctrine. He has authority in our practice. If God has said something, we can rest in it because it's a guarantee. He will see it through. So that is where the authority comes from, the very words of God. Well, what's its purpose? It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work, that we be complete. Kind of an interesting idea that you'd be complete, that this God, God's word is so powerful and so thorough that it actually leaves you complete. And in the, in the sense is this, um, not lacking. That you, Some translations use the word that you are adequate, that you are perfect. So the idea carries this, that it is divinely equipped for a specific task. That's what God's word does in it, and it equips you for work, for for work of the kingdom, that you are complete in that. God did not leave anything out. He did not send you on a mission to go make disciples, to preach the word, and not prepare us. He's given us everything that we need in that. equips us what we need to follow God in doctrine and in practice. In context, these letters were written, Timothy and Peter, the, the, the text I was reading out of, in a time when false doctrine rised in the churches. And so the writers were saying, hey, Stick to sound teaching. God's word is enough. Do not add anything to that. Stay the course. Don't waver. Hold on to truth. Hold on to these truths. God's word reproves us. It it corrects us. And in a lovingly way. Sometimes when we we read the word, hey, it, it corrects you. We have an image of 
an angry God leaning over the banister of heaven who wants to hit us with a stick when we step out of line. But the idea, as a loving father, God will gently and lovingly correct us. Truth is, some of us need harder love than others. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is active. It is living. What other text claims to have that? To have power that can actually cut and decipher between soul and spirit. Most of us can't even begin to tell you what the difference of that is. Science can't. But God's word is so sharp, so powerful, that it can actually discern between these things. It reveals our true motives, our thoughts, and intents. And what a scary thing that is if we're quite honest. In the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, and Satan tempted him, what did he use to refute Satan? Yeah, Scripture. He quoted Scripture. Matthew 4.4 says this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yes, we need daily sustenance to, to, to allow these physical bodies to leave, but we need the word of God to work in and through us. Jesus himself, God in human flesh, used the words to combat the enemy. To say, I need God's word to, to confront this, to refute this. Psalm 119.105 says this, Your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's a guide to us. It gives us direction, how to follow. And we can keep going on and on and, and realize what God's, what the purpose of God's word is. But kind of put this in context and kind of begin to put feet. Let's kind of back up to where we started. What was mankind's purpose? to glorify and enjoy God. What authority directs us? What tells us how to do that and carries the weight and authority? God's word. What does the Bible teach? Well, the Bible primarily teaches what we must believe about God and what God requires of us. See, God's word is God revealing himself to us. It's a window by which we discover who God is, who we are, and the right way to view the world. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to about God. This is literally God saying, this is who I am. You have to take it in, in totality. If we, begin to, if we begin to pick and choose what we want to believe about God, we're making God in our own image. That's idolatry. And it's very easy in our culture to kind of overemphasize certain attributes of God Because that's the God we're honestly comfortable with. So in church, do we have a narrow view of God? Songs we sing? The word taught? The way we personally approach it? Do we have wrong beliefs? See, in our culture, if we look around and just kind of take an outside look of what influence culture has on our church, we say, hey, culture is primarily very individualistic into themselves into pleasure. 
If that's speaking into the church, what would the church look like? Probably a church that's really obsessed and views God as this punch-drunk person that is so desperately in love with you that he possibly can't live in heaven without having you because you add to him. Is that a correct view of God? No, it's totally wrong. We have to take God, who he has revealed himself to be. As Chris was teaching two weeks ago on the fear of God, we have these two tensions of this God who is incredibly loving, who gave of himself for us, who has a love that's immeasurable, but yet he's a God to be greatly feared. Let us be careful of making God in our own image making them what we're comfortable, making them more palatable to us or to other people. So with all this, what does this mean for us today? Right now, at this precise moment in history, do we need to know this? Do we need to be diligently in this book? Do we need to study it and, and do we as confessed followers of Jesus, are we actually beginning to apply this in our lives and beginning to live this out? We have to, church. If we look around at, at the world, the chaos that's going on, the brokenness that just abounds in our country, look at, look, look at it politically. Is it not just insane? Where the left seems to push farther and farther left, and the right seems to push farther and farther right to where if you look around, what do you believe? Where do you stand? What about the church? Same thing. We see people just running in both directions of all kinds of chaos. But God's word is clarity in this chaos. It is our compass. It shows us where to walk. It's that firm foundation that we can count on because it points us to Jesus and the true person of who he is. And to combat these things, when we look at the world and we're like, hey, this is hopeless, what do we do? We might be able to explain why there is a problem, but the truth is we need the gospel to speak to that. Nothing short of the redeeming message of Jesus it will all fall short in its attempts to explain or fix the issue. So individually, how does this play out? Now, I know there's many people in the room with different proclivities, different bents, different personalities. How should we respond? And I, I've kind of highlighted a few tendencies where I think people all have a, a particular bent in their approach to God's word. So just to kind of help us flesh this out, help us to learn how to walk in this, this is what I see. See, some people view God's word as just simply a rule book. I remember as a kid being told this, the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. Has anybody heard that? Yeah, it's kind of a silly I don't know even what to explain that as. It, it, the right word kind of escapes me right now. Um, while the, the thought behind it is good, it's missing something. This book isn't just a checklist of divine principles. 
or just simple applications. See, we can, we can be a people that are just so comfortable with God's word and even be, from the outside looking in, morally sanitized where we have biblical education, biblical business practices, a biblical family, etc., on and on, but we have completely missed the person of Jesus and the power that exists and who Jesus is. See, Jesus isn't a substitute. He isn't an additive to our life to make life better. Our life needs to be hid in Christ. It, it is our all. So we can follow the truth and principle, but completely lack the power of what this book is teaching us and who it's pointing to. Busy doing the right things. But God's word isn't just to puff up our minds, and it's not just a bunch of information, a mere intellectual assent. It's not information. It should lead to transformation. It should have some visible effects in our lives. If that's you, you need a perspective change. And be honest. We all can fall into these ruts. Maybe, maybe if you're a skeptic or you're a doubter, now, the, what I've laid for today isn't an apologetic. I'm not defending why God's word stands true. I understand that. This is out of the scope of what I'm trying to communicate. You might say, oh, God's word has so many contradictions. It was written by men. But have you honestly tried to seek to see if what you propose holds any validity? My challenge is to be, if you're wrestling and be like, I don't know if I can trust God's word, are you actually willing to seek that and seek truth? God's word tells us this, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened. Are you willing to actually seek and see if there is a living God that is powerful that will speak into your lives and show himself to be true? Or are your statements just a wall and an excuse, a facade to give you space because you don't want to be confronted by reality. You would lose control at that point. Some of us maybe have become so over-familiarized with God's word. Some of us know this very well. We know where the chapter and verse is. And we just hear it. We listen to the podcast. We listen to sermons. But the truth is maybe we lack the power of this. Is the Holy Spirit evident in your life? We have to remember that the Pharisees in Jesus' time, they knew God's word. They followed the rules. But they completely missed the heart of what the scripture was. They completely missed the Messiah. They completely missed Jesus. Are we those people who are really great with our head knowledge, just completely lacking the power of God? Would you be willing to ask the Holy Spirit to humbly ask the Holy Spirit to breathe life into you, to be refreshed, recognizing, hey, it's not about what we know. We're all in need. We're all sinners saved by grace. We've all fallen short. Some of us are just struggling, maybe, maybe new believers. I'm trying to read it. I'm trying to understand it. I'm having a hard time getting it from my head to my heart. Where else do we turn to get the answers when we see a God that says, I love you, you are mine. You are my sons, you are my daughters. 
There's grace for you. Maybe baggage we've carried from, from past, our past. And we have guilt that bears so much weight in our lives that we can't possibly move forward. It hinders us from walking in God's fullness. This is where we find the truth that God has paid for that. The blood of Jesus has washed us clean. He is for us. He has adopted us. That's where we go to find these truths. Another type. Maybe you're the, just the lazy type. Completely apathetic. Let's be honest. That's the easiest one. We're American. Sure. Yeah, that's true what you say. God's word's breathed. Probably no evidence of it in my life. Nominally, I'm a Christian. Just don't look for proof of it. We need to be seeking this. It takes discipline. It takes effort. We have a God who loves us. Have you begun to follow it? You have to be honest and kind of recognize where you're at. If any of these things ring true to you, and we do serve this great God who has something to say about how you believe and how you act, would it not be wise to take heed? Recognize our bents. We all have these natural bents that lead us to ruts. So I want you guys to ask yourself this question. If you're a confessing follower of Jesus, do you have an increased hunger for God's word? Is that evidence in your life? Because the longer we follow Jesus, the truth is we should hunger and thirst for the things of God. Yes, our love can grow cold, but God's word actually speaks to that in the form of rebuke. Do we hunger and thirst for truth? Next question. Are you increasingly being governed by God's word? Does it actually rule and reign in your lives? When's the last time you've learned something new that actually impacted the way we live daily? It's a hard question, but it's one that has to be asked. To not ask it would risk heading in a direction that over the long run would lead to ruin to lead to a life that is impotent. Are we applying this? Are we practicing what's laid out for us here? See, now the Bible isn't just a means of an end to itself, but we serve a great God. God who is worthy of all praise, all honor. And I don't want to approach this like an oversimplification to say, hey, all your problems, just read your Bible, it fixes them. I've heard that quite frequently. Problems in marriage, I'll read your Bible. Yes, the answer is there, but that's an oversimplification of that. We need to respond to it, we need to take it in. We need others around us to be speaking into our lives. So, so my exhortation is this, if there is a God who's revealed himself to, to us through his word and he does speak in what we should believe and what we should do, you need to read this. Plain and simple as that. You need to start. No excuses. 
We have access to so much reading plans and phone apps and people who are well-versed. Ask others to help you understand. If you struggle, why do you think we have community? On our own, we'll, we'll stop. We won't be able to do it. Would you seek other people to, to help you? Somebody who's maybe more mature and farther along, would you ask them how they do it? Another thing is, get yourself a Bible. A, a real tangible Bible, I'd encourage us. Would we be a church that actually carries us to church? Where I fall short is, I, I have a phone that has a Bible, and I, I read lots on it because it's easy to switch through translations, but I'd encourage us, let's bring this to church because it communicates something else. And it communicates that this is important. It communicates to our kids that this is important. There's not power in it, but what we're communicating when we hold this, when it's open, if you don't have a Bible, we'll gladly give you one. We have them in the back. You can talk to Angela. Get yourself a Bible. Teach it to your kids. We have the charge to, to read this to your family, to read this to your kids, to read it to each other. That's our responsibility. Being consistent is key. It's easy to kind of open up and pick a few verses, but to stay consistent, that's the hardest struggle that probably most of us in the room face, is it not? But the truth is there is no shortcut to godly living. It'd be nice to say, hey, here's the quick way of just how to become more like God, to learn really quickly. There just isn't. There's lots of ways to read, but would you keep pursuing? Even in seasons of dry times, we're not guaranteed that every time we open this Bible, it just lifts our spirits and speaks to us, and it's amazing. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes you read it and you say, I honestly got nothing out of this. But would you, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, be willing to stay consistent and follow day after day? Meditate on it. It isn't how you do it. Would you take small chunks of Scripture and meditate? Would you read to each other these things? Because the idea is this. Attention leads to adoration. Attention leads to adoration. What you take and put your time and attention to, that's what you begin to love. We do not discipline ourselves to put God's word as a primary source in church, in life, in our daily routine. We're not going to love it. And we give our time to things that we value. Remember, we have an enemy that wants to keep us out of this. Sometimes we just go through life just kind of looking on the here, the now. We forget that there's a whole spiritual reality that exists around us. So that's individually. What about corporately? What about Anthem Church? How should this, what should this mean? See, in our culture that rejects truth, how can we stand if we do not know God? How will we refute false teachings if we do not know God? Are we championing God's word? Are we studying it? Are we full of the Holy Spirit? We need both. See, Jesus was seeking worshipers that worship him in what? Spirit and truth. Truth matters. 
words we say matter. They have meaning. In, in spirit, the idea that all our heart, our soul, our mind, and totalitarian worships God aligned with truth. The idea of presence and mind and heart aligned together in what is foundational and true. We cannot forsake truth, church. We have to stick with sound doctrine, stick with sound theology and practice. We have to actively learn and seek and pursue Jesus to be his followers. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. Read it together. Read it to each other. Encourage each other in that. Colossians says this, that the 3.16, I believe, it says, let God's word richly dwell among you. Does it richly dwell among us? Or is it meager? Meditate on it. Pray through it. And to finish off, if we moved into chapter 4, this is a continuation writing. The, the chapter breaks just kind of keep pushing through. It says this, and I think this is a good way, and this is primarily aimed at teachers, at the leadership. This epistle, the source text in Timothy, is written to a young pastor where false doctrine had arisen. So to this is our encouragement to our elders, to our lead pastor. It says this, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They'll have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. As for you, be sober-minded, endure a suffering, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. We see a responsibility, part on your part, part on the leadership of the church. Pursue, stick with truth. We view this as powerful. It has the authority. We view this book as one joining collection of writings that tell one story. The story of Jesus. The story of redemption. It gives us meaning and purpose to what went wrong in the world and how God took upon himself to fix the problem. See, sin entered the world. Man wanted control, wanted nothing to do with God. And as a result, sin entered and separated us from God. But this story, this book tells of a story how God came in human flesh in the person of Jesus. They used the exact imprint of God the Father, revealing further and more fully than ever had been known in history who God is. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. And he died a death that we deserved. And when he died, he was raised again because he had lived a perfect life. Death could not hold him because of his sinless life. And now he sits in heaven, and we are people who are waiting for his second return. 
Let's be a people who are faithful and diligent to this. Take it seriously, church. How will you stand if you do not know this? In it we find meaning. In it we find life. If you would, would you stand with me, please? This teaching is not meant to be a strong correction, but it was completely meant in love. We have a God who loves us. Let's be faithful to his word. Let's encourage each other. Let's hold fast to what's in here. Let's use this to align things that we sing, things that we do, things that we teach. This is our baseline. This is our plumb line. Let's stick with this, church. If we want to impact this city for this community, we need this. We need the Holy Spirit to actively make it alive in our lives. I challenge you guys, do not leave this room and just go on with your routine, but ask these questions and, and, and actively pursue something. If you're off, in practice and thought, go to God. He answers. He is a good father. He wants to speak to his children. Let's pray. God, we rely wholly on your word. Jesus, thank you for what a privilege it is to have this. God, may we be diligent to study it, to teach it, to champion it. God, we also need your Holy Spirit to make it alive and real to us today. As Anthem Church, would you Empower all these people, Lord, as your children, as ambassadors for your kingdom and carriers of the message of the good news. Help us to understand it. Give us wisdom. Give us gifts to use these things. God, help us not cave to social pressure, cave to social philosophies outside of church, Lord, but we can stand true because you have said it. You've given us a great responsibility. Help us to pursue it daily, Jesus. We need you. Help us increasingly to thirst and hunger for the things of you. To be ruled by this. To encourage each other in it. And that's our prayer and desire. In your name, amen.